Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast with the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts. It's also a podcast where we try to remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. So let's do our best to live as everyday Christians, not just Christians on Sundays, not just Christians on Wednesdays, but every day of our lives, let's do our best to be everyday Christians. We are continuing our study of 1 Peter chapter 3 this week on the podcast. We are going to look at part 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go ahead and jump right in. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 7 deals with an important topic, and that is the topic of marriage and proper relationships between husbands and wives, specifically dealing with the relationship between uh, a wife submitting herself to her husband and a husband uh, also getting to know his wife and living with her according to knowledge and uh, treating her well, you know, certainly uh, being as the weaker vessel, as Peter says in verse 7, he needs to treat her well. He needs to be a gentleman to her and and things of this nature. So we will get into this section. We'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 7. And uh, before I do that, uh, I did preach a, a marriage seminar uh, when I first got to Marietta, Oklahoma uh, last year um, on, you know, kind of the, the topic of, of, well, it was a topic of marriage, but I, I titled it The Grace of Life, which is right here in First Peter chapter 3. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a wonderful, wonderful topic, marriage, and it truly is the grace of life, and uh, I am truly honored and blessed to uh, be married to my wife, Lindsay, for uh, going on nine and a half years now. It's just really, really hard for me to wrap my mind around because the time truly has flown so much, and these truly have been uh, the best years of my life by far. But anyways, we'll go ahead and read this, First Peter 3, verses 1 and following. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with him with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is a really important passage, um, not a popular passage, when you take into consideration all of uh, the ideas of marriage and uh, radical feminism and things of that nature uh, that are currently uh, very common in in our modern culture, uh, our postmodern culture, if you will. Uh, but this is the truth of God's Word nonetheless. Certainly when you read this, you need to pair it with uh, Ephesians chapter 5 as well, which also deals with uh, submission and husbands loving their wives, uh, etc. So go and read that uh, alongside this when you get a chance. But Let's just go back through this in verse 1 and following. Uh, Peter says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Notice that wives are to be submissive to their husbands, their own husbands, 
And notice the belonging that is there represented by the word own, uh, O-W-N, their own husbands. There's a sense of belonging between a husband and wife as they uh, become one flesh. Well, they are to be submissive to their own husbands, not to someone else's husband, but to their own. And submissive is the idea of allowing oneself to be under the uh, rule, if you will, and not in some heavy-handed kind of way, not in some uh, abusive sort of way, of course. That's not what he's talking about, but allowing a man to lead. That is the idea, allowing a husband to lead, which is his proper role in the home, per here, uh, per uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and other places in the Bible as well. That even if some do not obey the word, so if some husbands don't obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. A man is not a Christian, but his wife wife is, and he sees what kind of woman she is. Well, she's going to be a great influence for him, and, and there's a little bit of hope there that perhaps uh, she may be able to eventually convert him to Christ uh, through her conduct, including submission. By the way, this shows very clearly that even if a uh, lady is not married to uh, a Christian husband, she still has the obligation from God to submit to her husband. Now, obviously, if her husband tries to get her to do something that uh, is ungodly, is, is inappropriate, well, then that would be clear the clear exception. But as far as general uh, aspects of marriage, uh, a wife is to submit to her husband. When they observe your chaste conduct, that's just uh, appropriate, holy conduct, accompanied by fear, certainly fear of God, do you not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel? Uh, this is what the world really uh, emphasizes, especially for young ladies, also for men, but especially for young ladies. There, you, know, you, you look at the fashion industry, etc., and <clears throat> it's all about the outward appearance, isn't it, uh, to a large degree? Well, Peter says, no, that's not what it's all about. It's not about the uh, outward adornment, arranging the hair, wearing the gold, or putting on the fine apparel. He's not, uh, he's not against you know, the idea of wearing nice things. That's not the point he's making here. But the point he's making here is don't emphasize, don't overemphasize outward appearance. Now, I'm enthralled with the beauty of my wife. She is just gorgeous. She's beautiful. I love her so much. She is my standard of beauty. Um, but that's not what's important. <laughs> uh, I'm thankful that she's beautiful, but that's not that's not what is important. What is important is um, what's on the inside. A man looks not on the outward appearance, or, or God rather, looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart of man. You remember when um, the sons of of uh, Jesse were lined up before the prophet Samuel, and, well, is this the one? Well, no, not this one. Well, is this the one? No, not that one. And then finally, they get to the last one, David. And David, really? No way, surely not. But sure enough, David was who God wanted to be the king. And the the teaching there was that uh, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And David was a man after God's own heart. Well, same principle here in Verse number three, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, verse four, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies who may be listening to this uh, as everyday Christians, one of the most beautiful things you can do, and hear me out on this, because again, this is contrary to what radical feminism and the media and the fashion industry, etc., 
uh, entertainment, etc., is telling you. But one of the most beautiful things you can do is to have this incorruptible beauty, which comes from a gentle and quiet spirit. Read uh, Titus chapter 2 sometime when you get a chance and see what Paul writes to Titus there about young ladies as well. And make sure you don't blaspheme the word of God, right? Uh, that's in that passage. Uh, there are certain things that you have to do or else you will blaspheme the word of God. But anyways, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And I'll add this, it's very precious in in the sons of God too, the, the men, if you will. Uh, again, I'm so thankful for my wife and Although she's not perfect by any means, and neither am I, she does demonstrate this so much. I really, really, really appreciate it. Verse number five. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive. There's that word again. Being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, notice submission includes the idea of obedience. Uh, sometimes, you will occasionally hear the preacher say uh, in the vows for a young lady, will you promise to love, honor, and obey your husband? Unfortunately, that has been removed from a lot of wedding vows today, uh, but I've tried to make it a point to still emphasize that when, when, I, uh, when I do weddings, and uh, probably to the chagrin of some of the people in the audience, but I don't care. <laughs> this is about what God says, not about what... Uh, the people in that audience want. And I don't mean to be uh, nonchalant about that or anything like that, but we've got to remember it's about what God wants, not about uh, what we want. So being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and that was just a term of respect, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now let's pick on husbands for a moment. Now we've only got one verse here uh, to pick on husbands with, uh, for whatever reason. That's just uh, how how Peter did it. But uh, go and read Ephesians chapter five again. There's plenty there for husbands. Okay, so this is not some well. How come the the wives get six verses and the husband only gets one? Uh, there's plenty of responsibilities and obligations of husbands that are also included in the scriptures. But verse number seven here is a, is a big one. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Men who are listening to this, especially husbands, I want you to think about when you were dating, and maybe those who are not husbands yet but are in the process of dating. When you are dating your wife, or when you are dating a, a young woman who you're thinking about, hopefully, uh, this should be the reason why you're dating, uh, thinking about you know becoming your wife one day, what do you do? when you date? What did you do when you dated? Well, you tried to figure her out, didn't you? I remember when I was dating my wife uh, and those long text messages that would go back and forth and the long phone calls that would go back and forth. By the way, this was back in the... Uh, I didn't have AT&T or Verizon or anything like that. I had those old track phone. Uh, now it's called Straight Talk, but I think back then it was called the uh, track phone wireless, and I had to buy minutes so that I could text and call every month. I remember that, and I used those minutes up. I'm so glad those days are over, and uh, you've got unlimited wireless now. But back then, it was a big deal, and I wanted to talk to her. I, I loved Lindsay, of course, and I wanted to talk to her. So we texted all the time. We uh, talked on the phone quite a bit as well. And 
one of the things we did was we played 20 questions a lot. You know, what do you think about this? What is your favorite this? You know, what do you, what are your goals in life? Those sorts of things. We got to know one another. And sometimes if we're not careful, once we've been married, you know, I've been married nine and a half years almost. Um, once you've been married a while, it's a, it can be a challenge to continue to communicate in that way. You ask Lindsay, she'll tell you, you know, we need to communicate more. I, I fail at this. I really do. Um, but, you know, of course, with three kids, that certainly uh, adds to the mix of, you know, the difficulty of this. But we need to communicate. We need to dwell with our wives according to knowledge or according to understanding. That means we need to continue to get to know them. We need to continue to date them. Uh, my wife and I try to go out on a date and take the kids somewhere uh, to visit some friends for a few hours, and we go out on a date uh, maybe once every other month, sometimes every month. Uh, ideally, that's that's the goal, but uh, we try to do that. That's so important, uh, especially when you consider as a man, uh, those who are listening to this, who are, who are men, who are husbands, or maybe dating, it's so important for you to pursue her. Uh, that is within a woman. She wants to be pursued. And if you don't pursue your wife or if you don't pursue your, you know, your girlfriend who hopefully will become your wife one day, don't be surprised if some other man steps in and quite frankly starts pursuing your wife. And, and just the way that kind of the psyche, uh, of, of a woman is, that can lead to temptation for a woman. Uh, she she has a tremendous desire to be pursued. And if we as husbands are not doing our job on that, if we're not pursuing our wives uh, with understanding, don't be surprised if somebody, someone else tries to step in and pursue your wife. And that obviously that can lead to some, some you know, that's a, that's a dangerous road. So make sure that you are constantly pursuing your wife and, and that, uh, you have your wife's heart, and, and she has your heart 100% completely. Well, Peter says, Husbands, likewise dwell with him with understanding, giving honor to the wife. It is so important to treat your wife honorably, men, uh, to be a gentleman, to help her, uh, especially if she's got kids. Um, thankfully, uh, we are in a situation where my wife is able to stay home with our kids, and that is a tremendous blessing, um, a tremendous advantage in 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 my strong opinion. Uh, that's the way God intended it all along. Uh, I know there are some there are situations where it's necessary for a wife to to work, um, whether in the home or outside the home. I totally get that, um, but the ideal is, you know, if she can be there, then by all means be there. And the thing that I always teach um, when I'm looking at Titus chapter 2 about uh, keepers at home is whatever you're doing outside of the home, that's all fine and great, but it cannot be to the neglect of the home. That's where it becomes sinful. If, if the home is neglected from what is going on outside the home, then that is where we we mess up. And that's for wives, but that's also for husbands too. Uh, if if I am caught up in my work so much that I don't come home and teach my children uh, the principles of God, if I don't correct them when they need correction, if I don't 
spend time with them and, and love them properly, uh, not just my children, but my wife too, then I'm failing and I'm sinning. So whatever's going on outside of the home, it better not be to the neglect of what is in the home. But anyways, uh, men, we've got to give honor to our wives. They've got a lot on their plate. And the point that I was trying to, to get to before I kind of went on that rabbit trail is my wife has so much on her plate. And I try to help her. Uh, and I fail at this. I do. But I try to help her. What do you want me to do? I can do the dishes for you. Um, of course, I always take out the trash, right? That's that's the man's job, right? But seriously, um, uh, I've folded laundry for her before. I've, I try to help any way I can. I, I do some cooking from time to time because she has a tremendous job. Uh, we homeschool our kids. Uh, well, we our oldest, um, he is in going into second grade, or by the time of this podcast coming out, he will be in second grade. And we've got another doing pre-K, and then we've got another kid uh, who's not yet not old enough to do school yet, but she's still tagging along. And I tell you, my wife is busy, 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 busy. She's got a lot, a lot on her plate. I want to give honor to her. I want to be a gentleman. I want to be helpful to her and do my best to make her job easier. Well, it also says, as being heirs together of the grace of life. You know, grace is a wonderful thing. It is the unmerited favor of God. And usually when we think of grace, we're thinking of, you know, salvation and the the gift of God and grace. Uh, perhaps we think back to the Old Testament in Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, or we just think of, you know, the grace of, of Christ, the grace of the gospel of Christ. But in this context, grace is used to describe something else, and that is, hey, here's a gift that God has given you for life called marriage. It is wonderful. It is one of the most tremendous blessings of life. It is, a, a you know, to a large degree, a physical blessing, but there are spiritual aspects of it too. But it's a blessing. God sanctified marriage. He called it holy, and he designed it from the beginning. One man, one, one woman for life. Now, Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2 and, and uh, Matthew 19, etc. One man, one woman for life. That is holy. That is wonderful. That's marriage. Well, Peter calls it the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, notice that. If we're not getting this right, if we're not getting our marriages right, we need to get right before we go and worship God. Okay, Our prayers will be hindered if we are uh, at odds with our spouses and then we go in and act like everything's fine and, and worship God. All right, moving on. We've got to go. Uh, verses 8 and 9, an attitude of single-mindedness and love. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. <clears throat> Again, notice that Peter says, all of you are to be of one mind. It is critical that we be of one mind. Anytime you get two or more people in one room, what are you going to have? You're going to have different personalities. Sometimes you're going to have conflicting personalities. You're going to have different dispositions, different temperaments, 
and different opinions and ideas. Well, that can be scary when you have a lot of people together. Uh, here in Marietta, we've got 130, 140 or so people. Well, that's a lot of people and a lot of opinions and ideas and personalities. And we've got to be unified. We've got to be on the same team. We've got to be of one mind. The church has to have the right attitude of singleness of mind. And so Peter says, one mind having compassion for one another. We are to love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be courteous. And so we have to work through various problems that may come our way from time to time. The Bible has a lot to say about the church and being single-minded. Acts chapter 2, at the establishment of the church, we read, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The King James Version says singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 2, verses 44 through 47. This is a group of people that are on a mission, the same mission, and the mission is to glorify Christ and to save souls. Well, it's imperative for soldiers who are on a mission, the same mission, to be on the same page. Look at uh, Philippians 1, verses 27 through 28. Philippians 1 verses 27 through 28 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. And so we need to stand firm together. And when we do that, it will actually help us as we face the various persecutions that come with godly living. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul writes, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. So not just a singularity of action, but also a singularity of mindset is required for those who are in Christ. We won't have time to read this, but John 17, Jesus uses the word one over and over again when he prays for those, not only his apostles, but those who would follow after him. For us, he uses the word one over and over again to describe our unity. You can also look at Ephesians chapter 4. Peter also says that we are to have compassion one for another. This means we need to esteem others better than our own selves, Philippians 2 verse 3. We don't need to do anything out of selfishness or arrogance. We need to love uh, as the brethren that we are, uh, as the family of God. But Peter also says we need to be tender-hearted and courteous toward one another. Tender-heartedness is almost seen as a negative uh, by many. Oh, he got emotional there. He He's tender-hearted. 
And sometimes that's said in a condescending way, but tenderheartedness is a good thing. Peter says we're supposed to be tenderhearted. We are not to have hardened hearts. We're to be courteous toward one another, uh, which is a lost art by today, by the way. I mean, people are just downright rude today. Uh, We need to be courteous. Look at verse number nine. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Jesus set the perfect example for us when when in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, it's written, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, which we've talked about recently, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We are to do what to our enemies? Hate them? Well, no. We are to love them. Uh, I'm reminded of the Beatitudes. We are to be merciful. We are to be peacemakers. And all these things that we can read about in uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and uh, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and it really challenges the status quo of what we usually want to do. We don't want to treat people good who have treated us bad. The golden rule, which is also uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, um, the golden rule, what does it say? It says that we are to do unto others as we would have done to us. Uh, not as they do to us, but as we want done to us. So again, that's not uh, what we usually think of. We we don't want to do that. We want to mistreat people who mistreat us. But Jesus gave us the perfect example. When he was reviled, he did not revile. Again, Romans 12, verse number 20. Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And so we need to remember Christians are not to be people who retaliate. We are to turn the other cheek. I think it's easy for us to understand this uh, in principle, but it's very, very difficult for us to uh, live this out in our lives. Well, look at verses 10 through 12. This is quoting from the Psalms. Peter writes, For he who would love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is quoting from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Basically teaching the principle that If we want to live, then we have to be righteous. Certainly there are benefits, you know, physical benefits to living a righteous life. There are lots of pitfalls that we can avoid by living a righteous life. You know, the drugs and the alcohol and uh, the the riotous living that causes all kinds of physical problems and uh, even deaths and just tragedy. But even more so, if we want to live spiritually, We have to live righteously. Finally, let's end our podcast for this week on verses 13 and 14. 
And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse number 13, uh, Psalm 118, verse 6, kind of similar, says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Matthew 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Can men harm us? Well, certainly they can, but they can't harm our souls. Well, they can through their influence if we listen to them, if we through peer pressure and through evil communications or evil companionships, corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, certainly. But I'm saying, can a man force any harm upon your soul? No. It's all up to us what happens to our souls. John 10, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, no one can take away salvation from you. Here's the deal, though. We can give it up ourselves. We can lose our salvation. Perseverance of the saints, or uh, once saved, always saved, is as false as false can be. Read the New Testament. (laughs) That's what I tell people on that. Just read the New Testament. It's clear. You can lose your salvation. Uh, but no man is going to be able to take it away from you. Finally, verse number 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Parallel passage right from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Almost exactly what Peter says here. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And they also, what did they do? For they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. We don't need to be afraid of their threats. We don't need to be troubled. Christians have suffered immensely at the hands of others throughout history. I mean, terrible things you can read about in history that Christians suffered for righteousness' sake, but we don't have to to be afraid. We don't have to fear it. Christians not only went to their deaths willingly in those kinds of circumstances, we, we read church history, but even joyfully they went to their deaths. Uh, read Fox's Book of Martyrs and see that, and it's truly amazing. Well, Talking about being troubled, I want to end our podcast for this week in uh, John 14, verses 1 and following. John 14, verses 1 and following says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be 
also. And where I go, you know, in the way, you know. Jesus says, look, I am going to prepare a place for you. I will come again. So don't be troubled. But you know what I find interesting about this passage? Take a look at the previous chapter. John chapter 13, verse number 21. What does that say? When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus, just a chapter later, says, Let not your heart be troubled. But even Jesus was troubled sometimes. It was incredibly troubling that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus was about to have to go to a cross for us. Going to be punished for sins he didn't commit. He never once committed a sin. That had to be a tremendously troubling, troubling thought. On his cross, he proclaims, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's troubling. But Jesus... You know why he did that? Because he doesn't want us to be troubled. He wants us to have a home in heaven. He died for us. He rose again so that we can have that opportunity. So that we can, through his gospel, through faith in him and obedience to his gospel, we can have hope to one day go and be with him in that place that he prepared for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We come into contact with the blood of Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ when we put our old man of sin to death. We bury him in the water of baptism. We rise up. We walk in newness of life. We rise up to no longer serve sin, to be servants of righteousness, to do our absolute best, to be faithful to God, walking in His light as He is in the light. 1 John 1, verse 7. So that's my encouragement for you today, the podcast listener. Maybe you've listened to this for a while. Maybe you realize, you know what? I'm not a Christian. There you go. Take advantage of what Jesus did for you. Don't be troubled any longer. Obey the gospel of Christ. Believe on Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Christian Podcast. Lord willing, next week we will be back in 1 Peter chapter 3, part number 2. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network And we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.